Welcome to Connecting Citizens to Science, a podcast from the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine about engaging communities in global health research. I'm Kim Ozano. And I'm B. Eggard, and throughout this series, we'll be talking to researchers from around the world, exploring how they connect with people to address a range of challenges in global health. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Vector-Borne Disease series of the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. I'm B. Eggard from the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, and I'm here with my co-host Fatu Jaite. Thank you, B. Uh, I'm Fatu. Um, I work at the Institute of Tropical Medicine in Antwerp, and I'm a social scientist working mainly on malaria projects. And yeah, um, also in terms of community engagement strategies as well. So happy to uh, have this session on. So on today's episode, we're joined by Professor Ng Li Ching from the Environmental Health Institute in Singapore and Dr. Lena Finder from the Ifakara Health Institute in Tanzania. Li Ching is Director of the Environmental Health Institute, which is part of the National Environment Agency, and is also an Associate Professor at the Danyang Technological University in Singapore, as well as a frequent advisor to the WHO. Lina is a research scientist at the Ifakara Health Institute and a postdoctoral fellow at the University of California, San Diego. Today, we're going to be discussing some novel methods for controlling mosquito vectors, focusing on Wolbachia-infected mosquitoes and genetics-based approaches for controlling um, mosquitoes such as gene drives. We'll explore how communities perceive these approaches and the role that community engagement and education plays in how much they succeed um, in practice. So thank you so much for joining us, Li Ching and Lena, and welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Hi. Thank you very much. So to start the podcast off, we'd like to hear about the kinds of projects that you both work on. We're especially interested in comparing the Tanzanian and the Singapore context in this episode. So if you could give us a bit of background about the context that you work in, we'd be really interested to hear. Um, Li Ching, could we hear from you first on this question? Um, so my group, we do surveillance and research for the purpose of uh, risk assessment and developing evidence-based cost-effective tools and strategies uh, to safeguard environmental health. And specifically, uh, area of interest include vector-borne diseases such as dengue, COVID-19, and indoor air quality. Um, so in, I guess the project of interest here is a uh, project, Singapore, uh, project Wabakia, Singapore, where we release male, male mosquitoes, made 80s Egyptian mosquito that carry Wabakia into the community. And when this Wabakia mosquito mates with a female in the community which do not carry Wabakia. They are not compatible. So when they, the progenies that arise from that mating process are not viable. The eggs don't hatch. And so when you do more uh, continuous release of Wabakia mosquitoes, you see a plunge in the mosquito population or at least the vector population. Great. And could you tell us a little bit about um, Singapore and its sort of context and how it is um, historically dealt with dengue and its approach to disease management? Yeah. So in Singapore, we have always been doing uh, source reduction as our key measure uh, against uh, mosquito-borne diseases. Literally removing breeding potential breeding habitats, removing stagnant water to deprive the mosquitoes of breeding habitat. And I think through the years, through decades, about 60 years of dengue control or malaria control, we have uh, uh, been rather effective in uh, reducing the burden of the disease in Singapore. So it's mainly through environmental management. So Project Wabakia is something very novel that we uh, hope to complement 
um, what is already ongoing. Great. Thank you. And Lena, can we hear a little bit about the sorts of projects you work on and give us some background to the Tanzanian context of vector control? Maybe just starting with Tanzania. Um, so we are a malaria endemic country. Uh, I think our current prevalence, it, it may have changed. Uh, we haven't done surveillance in a while, but the last national surveillance was from 2018 and we had about 7.3% prevalence, but uh, that varies across the country. So there are areas with prevalence of less than 1%, and then there are areas with nearly 50% prevalence. Um, the main malaria control um, tools or programs are vector control tools. Uh, so there is universal coverage of insecticides treated with, uh, sorry, bed nets treated with long-lasting insecticides, and there is indoor residual sprays. And recently, as of, I think, 2018, 2019, the government has largely invested on larval source management uh, by building a biolarvicide uh, production plant in the country. And they are encouraging uh, the use of these biolarvicides for malaria control. Uh, I think they have started with a few regions uh, or districts in the country, but they are spreading it. So that is a country-led initiative for malaria control. In terms of what I do, or my colleagues and I at Ifakara Health Institute, in terms of malaria control, we really do a whole a range of activities uh, from uh, mosquito surveillance. So this would be both uh, adult mosquitoes and uh, larval surveillance, uh, monitoring the changes in behaviors, changes in insecticide resistance. Uh, we also do epidemiological surveillance and we uh, as well, we develop, I think, learning from uh, what we see during surveillance monitoring and, and surveillance, we also develop different tools that can deal with the changes. For example, we see a lot of changes in mosquito behaviors. So we, again, develop uh, various tools to try and respond to the changes, and then we test those in the communities. Great. And could you tell us a little bit about the projects you've been working on, on acceptability or perceptions of gene drive technologies? For gene drive technologies. Um, so we don't really have any gene drive technology projects here. Uh, the country currently is in preparation stage, I should say. Uh, we haven't had any GM or gene drive technology projects here. Although we are doing a lot of surveillance, for example, doing surveillance of our vectors in the country to see uh, what are the dominant malaria vectors, uh, what are their behaviors, how do they breed, how do they behave and all that, uh, so that we can see if this technology can work in the country. So we do a lot from vector surveillance to genomic surveillance, all that, we, we, my colleagues do that. In terms of acceptance, uh, we have, or at least I have done, my PhD was really based on, on exploring stakeholders' um, perceptions, I should say, about alternative technologies for malaria control. And genetically modified mosquitoes was one of them. I think I studied about six, I explored about six uh, alternative technologies and GMM was one of them. Uh, in terms of gene drive, so that project has sort of expanded. Within the country, we 
uh, had conversations with a range of stakeholders from community members to policymakers, regulators, scientists, uh, academicians. And um, later on, we received funding from FNIH to sort of expand this project uh, across Africa. So we again try to, to map and, and have these conversations with African stakeholders to really find out what are the key concerns or what are the concerns or questions that they would like answered before they say yes to, to researching this technology or implementing it in the country. Great. Thanks so much. So we'd really like to hear some more later in the podcast about that work that you did um, engaging with different stakeholders um, around genetic modification. So I guess my next question is um, a little bit more detail about the sort of approaches that you've used um, to engage with communities over this issue of modified mosquitoes. So if I could go back to you, Li Ching, and ask you a bit about the sort of methods and approaches that you've used to engage with communities um, in the Project World Back here in Singapore. Yeah, in fact, in our trial in Singapore, um, we have um, we achieved more than 90% reduction in the Aedes aegypti field population in the trial sites and up to 88% reduction in dengue in all these trial sites. Um, for a trial to go on, you have many gears interlocked with one another, right? You have the production, you need to ensure there's production, there's um, release mechanism, proper release mechanism, regulatory approval, many gears. And one of the one of the key gear, one of the very important gear is actually um, community engagement. Uh, because these technologies are so new and because we're releasing mosquitoes into the uh, spaces, the living spaces, it is very important to get the uh, support from the community. So in our case, we use all kinds of platforms to maximize our uh, outreach. Every community comprises a diversity of individuals. They have different preferences, they read different media, um, so we maximize them. For the scientific community, for example, we have had conferences and workshops, work, um, a very consultative kind of a platform. For general public, it ranges from town halls by community leaders, exhibition at popular science-based events. We also use a lot of social media, mainstream media, um, digital boards on, on site. So different, uh, different sort of audience, different target audience, different kind of media. So for local engagement, we have roadshows and uh, printed materials such as banners, brochures sent to every household to get support. So our first um, engagements uh, in uh, 2016, around before 2016 even, were more focused. It's focus groups and we consulted professional bodies, medical and science communities, both local and uh, international. And of course, regulatory agencies, advocacy groups, um, and their feedback has contributed to our broader effort in assessing um, in the assessment of possible secondary impact. Yes, for example, our genetic modification advisory committee assessed and concluded that Wobakia carrying ADs are not GMO. Um, possibly Possible uncertainties raised by stakeholders were also tested and verified in a laboratory bef um, before we proceeded to the field trial. 
So all these gather feedback and help us address any concerns about the technology. Um, the feedback also help uh, from these stakeholders also help us shape our uh, outreach strategies and publicity materials. Um, so for public, it's very important that we develop easy to read charts and graphics, videos, cartoons, you know, uh, use a lot. So social media, digital media is really, has been really useful for us, um, especially during COVID when face-to-face -face interaction was very limited. Uh, we had to rely a lot on social media, uh, digital media. Um, and a very important uh, and effective uh, approach is the experiential approach. So to show that the male mosquitoes don't bite, they are safe and, you know, because we release male mosquitoes, right? Uh, so we, we have, for all the engagement sessions, we have brought cages of male mosquitoes, male wabakia mosquitoes, with a hole in there with the gloves, where people could put their hands, a community could put their hands in, just to experience for them the um, biology of male mosquitoes, where, uh, which would land on them but will not bite. So just so for, for, for the community, we think that it's very important not to just listen to the facts, listen to the science, but actually to experience it. Uh, experience it. Um, I think that is very effective. Yeah. Thanks so much. There's loads of really interesting really interesting points in there. Um, I really like the way you sort of described that the p concerns of the public were sort of genuinely taken on board by the programme and addressed, and that was sort of fed back to the public. Um, and those ideas about an experiential approach, I think, is is really, really effective as well. Um, I just wondered on that how much, because um, I know that you did uh, the public engagement sort of before the project started and an interim period when the project had been happening, um, and how much change there was sort of between those two points in the public perception of the project. In fact, uh, they were quite similar. So we did a survey before the project, just when the project started. Um, and also we did survey in areas without releases. And then another survey sort of midpoint along the project. And we got very encouraging results, um, especially on site. I think the household survey shows that more than 70% of those surveyed uh, have heard of Project Wobakia. So showing the reach of the um uh, the, the, the team, right? The engagement team. And um, some of them may not have heard, but after the explanation, um, more than 90% supported or are neutral to the implementation of the technology. So it's more than 90% that is receptive. Um, so that's why I think it's so important. Uh, that's why that, that explains the success of the project as well, that we could continue for the long term since 2016 to now. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Um, and Lena, could we hear a little bit from you about the sort of approaches or the methods that you use to engage with different stakeholders when you were discussing um, perceptions um, around sort of GM technologies for mosquitoes? Yes. Uh, so I was just listening to Li Ching. Um, we are in a very, we're in a sort of the opposite uh, end. For us, we don't have any of uh, these technologies yet. So we are very much in like a preparation stage, uh, being malaria endemic saying, what if this technology comes? We cannot say no to it without knowing it. So if, we, if our stakeholders say we don't want it or we want it, they should say why we want it or don't want it. So that's sort of where we are in um, uh, exploring 
first of all, the perceptions or the awareness or the knowledge, and then really getting their concerns or their questions and trying to answer those for now so that uh, the stakeholders can make informed opinions about these technologies. So how, what we've done um, is I, we are not really in a state to say doing public awareness uh, because again, it's not a technology. We don't know that it's coming. So I have done one large community survey uh, in just one malaria endemic country in the southern part of the country, or ma malaria endemic setting in the southern part of the country with community members. And before doing the survey, again, this being a really very new concept here, uh, we called a few community members first. So we have community leaders here who are normally just the community members given leadership roles. So they very well represent the communities they come from. So we selected from different villages, uh, we brought them together, and then we did a very brief PowerPoint presentation trying to explain the technologies. So the different types of GM technologies from SIT to all back infected mosquitoes to gene drives, uh, all the range of them. We explained to them without giving too much of the benefits or the risks. So just saying, this is how this technology work, works. And then now let's discuss based on what you know, let's discuss what your opinions are or your concerns are. So that's how we sort of gathered opinions from different stakeholders. So we did that with community members. And also one thing that we did ask them was, how could we go to the larger communities and ask about this? Because we don't even have terminologies in our local language to talk to people about this. How do you ask a, 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 an illiterate uh, community member about gene drives? So we also ask them to help us. If this is sort of what this project is, what would you call it in a way that people would understand? So we, we gathered all those insights and after we had done the group discussions, we used the information from that to generate surveys that we took back now with the terminologies that we had learned, we took it back to the community, to the larger community and gave the survey out. Uh, we have done that with a range of stakeholders, as I said. So we've done the group discussions with scientists uh, gathering concerns and perceived benefits and also their perceptions on how this technology could work. How could it complement the current tools so that we're not um, taking away investment from maybe bed nets or larvicide, which is what the government is focusing on so that we are not taking efforts away from that into something that is we're not sure of, but how could it complement everything else we have? So we we gathered all that through focus group discussions, through individual discussions and uh, interviews and through a survey. Great. Thanks so much, Lena. That's, that's so interesting to hear. Um, and again, I think a lot of those sort of differences in the contexts in sort of Singapore and Tanzania and obviously in the stage of the, the projects that you're at, it's really interesting to see those differences. Um, and I think your point about the sort of terminologies to discuss these technologies is a really good one because I think to so many people, the sort of the concepts and the science behind it is quite inaccessible and quite hard to comprehend, which obviously adds to that feeling of um, 
suspicion sometimes. So the fact that you sort of engage with those community leaders and ask them about, um, you know, ways to converse on this topic, I think is a really, really valid idea. So thank you so much for that. Um, I'm going to pass over to Fatu now, who's going to ask you a few more questions um, about the kind of approaches that you've used to engage with communities. Um, okay, thank you, B. So just touching on uh, um, the two uh, contexts, I think it's quite interesting because you can see the commonalities, but also the differences, right, in terms of where you are with this technology. So for instance, in Tanzania, it's not introduced yet, but it's something that is being uh, explored. While in Singapore, it seems like it's kind of uh, quite advanced uh, with the integration of the approach, right? Um, and but I think um, what I also wanted to touch on in terms of the communities, I can see here that you both engage with different uh, number of stakeholders, um, and not just from the scientific community, but also in terms of policymakers but also the public in ground, so the public in general, but also these communities potentially where uh, um, uh, it will be introduced and where it has been introduced. So I think that's uh, quite uh, nice to see uh, in terms of things that are being considered, right? So looking into that, I just wanted to uh, check from your experience or if you can you know, touch on a little bit in terms of concerns that have been brought up from, let's say, the community uh, members who will be directly impacted by this technology. So, for instance, an example here is that most of the time, especially uh, in um, vector control or, let's say, malaria research, is that we're trying to tell the community members to protect themselves from the mosquitoes, right? And with this technology, what you see is actually in terms of messaging, at least in terms of people conceptualizing what it means, is that an introduction of more vectors? So, how do you did you are yeah, these sort of things do they come up for people, and how do you address them? So, you can touch on so that's just an example, but other uh, concerns that have come up in terms of your work and how you were able to address them. Uh, so, leaching uh, from the Singaporean context, and then we can check from Linda as well. Yeah, I think for us because we are releasing female um, only male mosquitoes. Um, so it was, um, the initial phase was to convince people that male mosquitoes don't bite. And in fact, that took us a, a couple of years, just the message, male mosquitoes don't bite. Um, because of course, there are, there's a concern in Singapore, vector control has been very strong uh, for 60 years, as I mentioned, based on very much on environmental management, on uh, suppression of mosquito population. So people generally are very sensitive to mosquitoes. Um, and releasing mosquitoes into the environment, uh, sort of, uh, it's sort of an irony, right? That for 60 years, we say no mosquitoes, and here we are releasing mosquitoes. And so we have to convince that it is, uh, they don't bite, they are not vectors, and they don't propagate in the field. Um, yeah, the progenies don't die. So these are some of the uh, information that we need to get through. Um, so some of the concerns that people had is, for example, ecology, in terms of ecology, will it affect the ecology? Will it affect birds? Will it affect uh, animals around us who rely on them as uh, a part of the food chain? Um, and we know that Aedes aegypti is an um, uh, indoor mosquito, and quite meek, I, I would say quite unlike the malaria mosquitoes. Uh, so they... Uh, in our assessment, it has 
very impact, little, very little a negligible impact on the ecology, on the biodiversity out there. Um, and it is a invasive mosquito imported many years ago. Um, so these are some of the things that we have to then put into the uh, risk assessment. So we generated two risk assessment reports, one internal risk assessment and a, one from an independent uh, company who did a risk assessment for us. So, um, so main, main concern is ecology. And then some of the scientists also brought up uh, concerns about wood, because I think some other studies shows that the Wabakia, Wabakia density could be reduced or could drop when the mosquitoes age. So would the mosquitoes in the field then becomes um, compatible, you know, they lose their Wabakia. And so we took that, uh, we took that very seriously. We did an experiment in the laboratory and left the mosquitoes for, uh, let them grow very old and showed that they do not, the density may drop a little bit, but the com incompatibility phenomena was still there. The feature that we rely on, um, biological, the biological incompatibility was still there despite the age of the mosquitoes. So these are some of the uh, examples of concern. But with each of this, uh, we have put it into our risk assessment uh, report, which is published online. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, very interesting. And, you know, from your experience in terms of, let's say, your exploratory work, wherein you looked at these different stakeholders, where there are concerns that were brought up, and also not just on that, but if, let's say, uh, like, in terms of uh, suggestions on how to address this uh, or how they would like for it to be addressed. Yeah, if uh, you can share from your experience on this. Uh, those, those concerns have come up. Um, for example, the fact that you're releasing mosquitoes. I think in our settings where there are just so many mosquitoes, if I talk about the southern part where I'm working, um, Malaria vectors account for maybe less than 10% of all mosquitoes that we have. Um, so, and those are the only um, brisky species. Although people don't know, uh, we have come from a time when this was a highly, highly endemic area. Uh, the Ifakara, the place where I live, uh, in the local languages, it means a place where you go to die. Um, so, largely in the past because of malaria. And over the years, I think we've published one paper that has shown that malaria has gone down more than 99% over the past two decades. But that information is not really widely out there, not in the community. So people still are skeptical. If you say, for example, these and the majority of the mosquitoes around here are not malaria vectors, uh, they don't they wouldn't believe that readily because these are people that have lost so many family members in the past. So the issue of um, if you release mosquitoes that are likely going to sort of reduce or eliminate malaria has been uh, met with a lot of concerns, not opposition here, but concerns and with a lot of questions. And one of those is exactly that. Uh, we are encouraged, so the government does mass campaigns for uh, to encourage people to use bed nets and right now also for larviciding. 
in uh, all the other tools that we have, the vector control tools are aimed to kill mosquitoes, not to keep them for whatever reason. So when you bring another technology that you say, well, this technology, in order for this technology to work, mosquitoes sort of have to live, at least for a period of time. They have to pass on the gene. So there are others concerns that should I still use my bed net that has insecticides so that it kills these mosquitoes? But if they die, then how does it work? And that is one of the concerns that we have is how, what would be the best combination um, this technology gene drives, for example, could have with our current tools in a way that does not really harm the gene drives, but also does not harm what, what we currently have. So that concern has come up in different ways from the communities saying, uh, can I still kill it or should I still kill it, the mosquito? And we say, of course, yes, you should still kill it because you, you can't differentiate it from uh, like sort of the wild mosquitoes. And then they say, so if you say I should kill it, then why are you bringing it? Why would you bring something only for me to kill it? And then there are those concerns as well among scientists uh, saying that if if these mosquitoes, are you developing them to be resistant? Because maybe our local strains are resistant to insecticides, so they wouldn't normally really die. Um, are, are they going to be resistant or are they susceptible to the insecticides? If they are susceptible, then how would you expect for the genes to, to pass on? So those concerns are there, and I'm Sad to say that we don't. <laughs> For the most part, we normally don't have answers, or at least we haven't started responding to the concerns. So we are at that stage where we are collecting a lot, a lot of concerns. Uh, and hopefully, and I really like uh, one thing that um, Li Ching you say that you genuinely respond to concerns from the stakeholders. And that is what we want to do is gather as many as possible and say, now take this back to the technology developers or the researchers and say, how do we respond to these concerns? From Can I jump in here? Lynn, we have the same, we have the same issue here as in that mosquitoes flying around and people are asking, can I kill it? And I can't differentiate the one with Wobakia or the male or the female, right? So it's the same, we have the same thing here, yeah. So our advice, like you, we said, uh, just kill it. If you need to kill it, you kill it. So all vector control measures will stay put in our case. They stay put and um, taking the suppression approach, um, it's beneficial here because they have the same objective, which is to suppress mosquito population. Basically, we agree with them. You can't differentiate um, um, whether it's male or female. So do as you would do normally. Yeah, but even with the suppression approach, though, you still you still really want the females to have the babies, right? So that they can pass on the gene. Yes. But then because, yeah. It's a tricky one. True. But we don't believe that they can kill all the mosquitoes. Yeah. So it's like looking at, the different kind of logics that you have in place, but then also trying to find this way of making sure that there's not too much conflicting uh, messaging, right? Uh, yeah, and this, I think, yeah, can uh, kind of give an insight into how you want these sort of strategies to become uh, sustainable uh, to some extent. Yes. Yeah. And then another concern, sorry, that we get a lot on the same line is uh, the malaria vector species themselves. Uh, 
we have, there are quite a number of malaria, uh, so the Anopheles species that, uh, that transmit malaria, and they are different in different countries. Even within a, a country, you still have different species in different settings. So right now, I think for gene drives, uh, for malaria control, they are doing the research on Anopheles gambiasis. But that's not a dominant vector here in our setting. Or even when we had our conversations with other African countries, they will say that's not a dominant vector for us. Uh-huh. And I understand maybe it has a full genome, uh, so it's easier to research in this case, for example, compared to Anopheles fanestis. But the stakeholders here say then, if you want, if you genuinely want to eliminate or to control malaria with this technology, why wouldn't you? Uh, sort of do this technology with the vector of importance in in, in my country. Because mm, mm. if you come and say you want to en- eliminate Anopheles gambiasis, that's not a problem with me. My problem is Anopheles arabiensis or Anopheles fanestis, but you're not researching that. So that's another concern that that comes up, especially among academicians and among scientists who sort of understand the different species. Um, that we also, we sort of lack uh, answers for for something like that, for example. So we just say, okay, we will take this to the developers and and see if there are possibilities of making sort of like uh, tailored gene drives to yeah. that can meet the needs of the specific either country yeah. or settings. Yeah. That, that's a good point because I think what it shows there is not that to say all oh, the technology is good or bad because you have evidence in places where it shows that like uh, in Singapore that it has contributed to the reduction of, of these vectors, right? Uh, but like you said, like you have to look at different contexts as well. And by engaging stakeholders, what you can also do is have this way of priority setting, right? to see in this particular context, what is a priority here? It could be which uh, particular uh, uh, type of, let's say, uh, vector you might want to concentrate on rather than the other. So you can tailor your strategies uh, based on the, the particular context that you're in. I, I thought that it's also important. I thought it's also important to have, um, to do, to, to deal with a vector, to try with a vector that is a primary vector. Otherwise, uh, you won't be able to measure the epidemiological impact. And that could then um, cause, you you could lose confidence in the technology. If you only target 10% of your, let's say 10% of your vector and malaria continues, right? It is not because the technology is not working, but it's um, not, not dealing with the primary vector. Yeah. Oh, a very good message because like we said in this area, there's usually a lot of like standardization and the universal application of stuff. But this again shows how it's important, you know, kind of try to see how to best tailor your approaches to the context that you're in. So with that being said, I think um, there's a lot of insight from both of your experiences based on the different stages that you are in, in country. Um and just thinking of like uh, someone, like a researcher somewhere in a different kind of context, right? And that wants to kind of uh, 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 introduce this sort of uh, um, approach, but in terms of uh, engaging different stakeholders. Um, from your experience, I, uh, what do you think is kind of like the um, best way to start this? At what process do you do this? Before uh, you introduce it, but also when you, you introduce it, is there also a way 
for you to actively try to find what are the concerns of the people and try to adapt uh, uh, the strategies in place. Yeah, so if you can just touch on that, uh, when is the best time to do, let's say, community engagement uh, or engagement of your different kind of stakeholders? When should you already consider these things and put measures in place? So yes, so for us, for us, when we did um, our first engagement, as I mentioned, uh, was with the professional bodies first, yeah, uh, scientists, medical doctors, uh, just to find out um, on the more consultative, like is this what do you think about this technology or versus another technology? Uh, that was our first step before we went into grassroots leaders um, and then the public. So, and then of course, in between, you have the regulatory bodies as well, right? So it is really step by step. And most of this is done even before the trial, before we're ready for the trial, you start uh, a couple of years before we started. As I mentioned, for the just one information, uh, male mosquitoes don't bite. We started even with, before we started talking about the technology. So that, that message had to go across. Um, so I think in general, the principles that we have is transparent, being transparent, offering, always offering um, accurate information, clear information and consistent. We mentioned just now, we talk about it, consistency. So uh, we want the public to be well informed about intervention because this is going to be taking place at their doorstep. And the possible effects, for example, some people may feel irritated by it, the possible effect that the household may be experiencing. And also the promptness, when we get data, we try to give it to the, um, we will try to package it quickly and give it to the uh, residents, to the community. Um, it is also, I feel, I think we discussed this a little bit just now about how is it, it's easier for messaging when the technology uh, does not conflict with other programs. So when we have a suppression method, it's sort of in line, it's, a, it's very aligned to our uh, suppression method, a uh, uh, mosquito control approach in Singapore for the last 60 years. So the communication then is a lot easier. And in our communication, uh, another second principle is uh, science-based and educational. We base we, whatever we give them, give to the public, give to whoever our stakeholders, there are scientific bases for it. Yeah, because we know um, now, especially with COVID, right? Misinformation is a common source of fear and doubt surrounding new technologies. Um, so our communicate engagement um, aims to de demystify the technology by equipping the public with a strong working understanding of the uh, scientific concepts behind it. Um, so it's a challenge. It's not easy to translate um, scientific information into public accessible languages. Um, so this is a challenge and that's where we would need social scientists like you and science communicators. Um, in fact, I think that in all this uh, introduction of new technologies, we have to bring on board social science experts and uh, communicator, science communicator on board very early in the, in the game. Yeah. Um, then the third principle we have is to be comprehensive and inclusive. 
everybody deserves to know it. Everybody deserves to be engaged. And that's why I mentioned about all the different uh, platforms that we use. Ranges from face-to-face, you know, people may not be savvy with digital platform, so we have a lot of face-to-face as well. And we bring the project, the information to near their homes where necessary. Um, so local knowledge is very important uh, because we want to be comprehensive and inclusive and listening to the community is essential. The fourth principle, consultative and responsive. We want to be consultative, to not just with the professional uh, community, but with the public as well. Yeah, because they then tell us what's the best way to do things, the local. Yeah, so we actively solicit feedback from residents. Um, we establish mechanism for the public to post queries, uh, voice their concerns or report incidents. So all these spectrum of views and concerns we receive really help us, has helped us a lot in our re- uh, releases and the engagement strategies. Yeah, so of course, then the last point, we got to be very aware of the ground situation. Understanding the sentiment of the communities, conduct surveys, mm-hmm. objective surveys, yeah. Um, understand the ecology of the space to uh, address issues as well. To, to understand the whole ecosystem, yeah. Because, for example, we had bites, residents complaining of bites, you know, from mosquito. And we found that then people thought that it was us, our mosquitoes. Then, but we realized that it was a coincidence rise in mosquito of another species in the community. And because we do surveillance, mosquito surveillance, not just for the species, but other species, we're able to tell that, hey, this is not um, the uh, Wobakia mosquitoes that we have released. So that helps to build confidence. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, and Linda, uh, do you have any thoughts on this in terms of when should we do community engagement when you have like a project? When do you do it? Is it something that you, you have to consider beforehand or during the project? Like, yeah, how do you consider these things? Yeah, I think what I was trying to say was that, um, and this has come up a lot in the discussions that we've done with the community or the stakeholders, I should say, not just communities, with the stakeholders is that, um, as you start, you know how uh, Le Ching say that they started engagement with their professional bodies, like with sort of the top stakeholders. Um, that's also what has been suggested here, uh, that you engage sort of where, as you make your, your way down to the communities, uh, the professional stakeholders should really have uh, the same voice. You don't want to go to the communities and then the policymakers and the scientists are, are contradicting each other. Maybe one says this will work and one says this is risky. So uh, my suggestion is as, as the technology comes, engage the top stakeholders, the policymakers, regulators, scientists, and then you make yourself down to different levels. So the countries, different countries have different structures. So you sort of follow the structure or the pathways within a country to engage stakeholders and the communities or the public, uh, you should really engage that when all sort of the professional bodies have uh, as same voice as possible. So, and then something else I wanted to say too, is that here in Tanzania, for example, all the other stakeholders, policymakers, regulators, whenever you ask them 
about their perceptions about the technologies. They will say, what do you say first? I listen to you as scientists. You're the one who should tell me that this is safe, that it will work, uh, that it that there are no major risks that I should worry about. So if you convince me that this is good, then of course I'm going to say yes to this. So, and this, we, we took this question through a survey to the communities as well. And we said, who do you trust the most about your source of information regarding malaria control tools? And the most trusted among the communities too was scientists. And I, I guess because our institution is well known here, I don't know what that, what that would be in a different community. But that to us, it sort of told us that scientists or local scientists are a very, very important stakeholders to engage very early on, to have them on your side. Because if they say anything about the technology not working or being risky, then it, it, it will be impossible to convince uh, any other stakeholders. So the engagement with certain groups need to start very, very early. The engagement with the public should come uh, hopefully when there is a, a viable technology, when there is a technology to be researched. So at this point, in terms of gene drives, for example, when we have more questions than we have answers for, uh, I, I probably wouldn't encourage going to the public about it and, and, until we have answered some certain questions, until we have convinced our top stakeholders who can back, back us up when we go to the public, yes. So thank you so much, Li Ching and Lena, for coming to speak to us today. It's been a really, really interesting discussion. I think those um, parallels between the contexts and also the differences um, in terms of the kind of vector control history in each country, the kinds of diseases and vectors that you're trying to deal with. Um, I think the point about... Um, you know, the sort of breadth of malaria vectors there are in Tanzania um, and the difficulty in targeting a single one versus in Singapore when it's just the two dengue vectors um, and the differences that makes in sort of how you can implement these approaches is a really interesting one. Um, I think this idea about sort of engaging with people's concerns um, and engaging in a really responsive way, as Li Ching said, um, and the fact that these concerns are genuinely taken on board and addressed, um, I think is a really a really good um a good model and as lena was saying you know this is going to be the intention in tanzania when they get to that stage as well um they're already obviously gathering those concerns and they're interested in what different stakeholders think um and when they're sort of if they get to a stage of implementation um they will also try and respond to those concerns um in a similar way um i think this point about kind of um Com combining tools that are already existing is a really interesting one too. The fact that people in Singapore and in Tanzania are still asking the question of, should we kill the mosquito? Um, because, you know, you've got these, these interventions that are more based around um, killing mosquitoes is a really interesting one. But I do think, as Li Ching was saying, um, the fact that in Singapore, the strategy for a long time has been about mosquito suppression, that this world backy approach doesn't seem so um, out of phase with that. While in Tanzania, this focus on bed nets and IRS um, has very much been about sort of, um, yeah, um, you know, killing mosquitoes and getting rid of them as much as possible. So that's an interesting point as well. Um, and then finally, I think this idea of making the concept um, and the kind of scientific background as accessible 
to people as possible is a really is a really good one. Demystifying the concept, um, trying to make your messaging clear and accessible, you know, through different forms, through social media, exhibitions, and then also thinking about what different stakeholders uh, will respond to you best um, is a really is a really great example um, of how to kind of engage those different sectors of society and make sure everyone is on the same page. Um, so yeah, I just want to say a big thank you again to both our speakers today. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been a great it's a great discussion. Um, and thank you so much. Thank you.